Hi, this is Jada Shapiro, and today we'll be mapping lactation on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important, not only because it causes us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care recommendations and outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Jada Shapiro. Jada Shapiro is a maternal health expert and the founder of Boober, where expectant parents and new families find expert vetted pregnancy to postpartum care providers like doulas, lactation consultants, or mental health therapists when they need it in person or virtual. She also founded Birthday Presence, New York City's most trusted source for childbirth classes and doula training, which has supported over 20,000 parents since 2002. Jada is a birth and postpartum doula, childbirth educator, lactation counselor, birth photographer, mother, and stepmother, and she's well-versed in today's topic, lactation. Jada, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much for having me. So on this podcast, Jada, we've talked about breasts. We've talked about hormones. We've talked about breast milk. But I really wanted to take the opportunity to talk about lactation because there's so much going on in the body in relationship to lactation. And I was excited to talk to you about this. So can you just start by talking about how you define lactation? Sure. Um, lactation is, oh, it's such a broad word, right? Yes. That it, in, in a way, and, and it's interesting because we really use that term more and more now, even as a, a term that is inclusive and includes everybody. Not everybody refers to their breasts as breasts. So there's some mm. people who call it breastfeeding and some chest feeding and mm. some body feeding. And so lactation has really, well, it sounds like a more clinical term has become sort of a more neutral term that a lot of practitioners are using these days to kind of speak to everybody. But, you know, I really like to think of, of lactation as the process by which your, you know, your body is making milk for, for this baby. And, Lactation kind of has multi parts. A part of it is a hormonal situation that mm. when when the baby is born and your placenta is is released from the body, which actually, if we kind of did nothing, if we had somebody who was left to their own devices to kind of follow the you know the natural order of what would happen in most cases, a baby actually 
when placed in skin-to-skin contact, would crawl when they were ready. Sometime, usually in the first hour, they would crawl up toward the nipple, toward the areola, smelling the scent, which is very similar to the amniotic fluid, chemically, Mm. apparently, as they say, and that the the babies are drawn in that direction, and they will eventually latch on um, on their own, almost, as we call it, the breast crawl. And, And the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, states that babies have the ability to be placed in skin-to-skin contact, and then they call it deliver and self-attach, hmm. um, which we know that, you know, mammals do. We're, we're very familiar with that in kitties and puppies and all, all of those, but many people don't realize that newborns, when placed undisturbed in skin-to-skin contact, also follow this pattern, and they move themselves toward the nipple. And when they eventually do get to the nipple, the suckling at the nipple actually releases hormones, which send a signal to the brain, right, to make the milk. So we have these two hormones that are really critical, prolactin, which is, we call it the, makes the milk, and, and oxytocin, which, of course, we probably talked about a lot yes. in different ways. Another yes. podcast on that. <laughs> yes, I bet. Um, but in this case, you know, not only do does it promote bonding and interconnectedness with the baby, but it also actually moves the, the, the milk. And so you have these contractions of the within the alveoli in the breasts and, and kind of to allow the milk to flow down into the, the milk ducts. So, you know, lactation, there's this whole process that first starts hormonally, as I was starting to say, when, when, when the baby suckles at the nipple, we get this release of oxytocin, which causes the placenta to start to detach. And when the placenta detaches and comes out, then we see the estrogen and progesterone levels come down and both, you know, those tend to block prolactin. And so, part of something that can actually interrupt the the milk making process. Sometimes when you have a client who several days into having the baby has this amazing looking latch and the baby's sucking frequently and everything seems to be going well, but they're really not making a lot of milk. There's there's one question in the back of practitioners' minds is like, could there be a little placenta left behind? Because mm. if there is, it will hormonally potentially block that that release of of the prolactin that we we really need to make milk. So that's kind of an interesting factor there. And so, you know, lactation starts hormonally, placenta comes out, those hormones drop, we start to make our other hormones, the milk making hormones. And that's one factor in milk production. And then the other factor is really in lactation and milk building is is the stimulation on the part of the baby. Or if not the baby, it could be your hands expressing the milk or a breast pump. And so, people don't exactly, many people don't realize like why do do the babies suckle so much in the beginning? And what they're actually doing is really sending a signal to our brain to make the amount of milk that we need. The first milk is called the colostrum. It's this, right, it's this incredible um, sticky golden, we call it the liquid gold, very rich with antibodies and all of the immuno properties that we need to have babies meet the world and kind of engage with their their environments. So we know that it's very um, protective to them against various disease and illness. And then that shifts over the next few days, usually with complete unrestricted access to the breast. We see in about three three days, but let's say three to five day window that we see the full flowing milk start to come in. And then over the next weeks, by around six weeks or so, six to eight weeks, it's really shifts from this hormonal and stimulus system to just being based on the stimulation, you know, and then that will affect how, how much long-term milk we continue to make. So some of us, some people will be, will be plentiful in their hormones and kind of be overproducers, even if the baby doesn't have the most amazing suck or if the baby is struggling with what we call tongue tie or ankyloglossia, um, which can be what we call tethered oral tissues. So occasionally 
there are situations where a baby's tongue is is needing some support or the baby's body potentially if they were kind of in utero in a particular position locked in for a very long time or there were forceps or vacuum suction used during the birth that can affect the baby's positioning. And sometimes we will look to using methods like chiropractic care or craniosacral therapy or something like that to help shift the baby's nervous system or physical system so that they may loosen their jaw and their tongue. And so it's not always linked directly to this particular thing we call tongue tie, which is where there really is this, this tethered oral tissue under the tongue. But sometimes when they're in, the, in kind of curled up or had a lot of stress, they don't always feed in the most optimal way either. So right. I guess that was a long way to answer, right? Lactation. <laughs> I love it though. You like painted this really beautiful picture of this natural process. And as my brain is listening and thinking about where things are functional and where they can become dysfunctional, either physiologically in our own bodies or because of interventions or different things that could come in along the way, I'm seeing the places that can disrupt the mama's ability to Mm -hmm. lactate. And one of the things I just wanted to underscore, you talked about a chemical process in the body, the hormonal response, and a mechanical process that's from the stimulation. If we look at the chemical process alone, it is that place where you talked about the hormones activating the prolactin and the oxytocin. Are there times where that process is disrupted, let's say from an early birth or a kind of birth that wasn't as natural as it could have been? What happens that could disrupt the hormone production for lactation? Yeah. Definitely. The hormone production for lactation can be disrupted in a variety of ways. Very commonly, it's it's the simple fact of not placing the baby with the birthing mm-hmm. parent, right? Mm-hmm. It's really common in American culture um, to take babies off of, of chests and place them in warmers and do various newborn procedures, all of which may have their place, but actually can be done right on, on the person's chest. And so that's one of the things I think as a, you know, as long as I've been a doula for 18 years and working at births and advocating for birthing parents and educating them as a childbirth educator ahead of time to really know that, you know, we can advocate if, as long as the baby is fine to keep that baby in skin to skin contact uh, makes a big difference because just the simple act, even of them being on the chest and touching your breasts and, and being there, that produces more oxytocin as well. And then just when they pet us even, right, having all of that contact there. So when we disrupt the skin to skin time, that does often make it take longer for the breast milk to come in. Although it doesn't totally, I always like to tell people this, like some people are going to have that disruption and it does not mean the end. There are things we can do, especially if we know in advance, right? So if I know or about this, or if I'm separated from my baby, because sometimes that has to happen for a clinical reason, either in the, you know, the birthing parent or the baby, um, we can then stimulate our breasts to tell the body that, hey, the baby was born um, and we need to start making milk. And so you can do that with manual milk expression or hand expression or 
by using a breast pump. The thing is that most people aren't told this. And so those that haven't, you know, come, for instance, like at Boober, I do a ton of lactation education yeah. ahead of time. And I encourage people to learn all about this because once you know this stuff, it's not, it's not so yeah. complex. It's like, oh, you know, you just need to replace that suckle stimulation cycle. And if your baby's not there with you for whatever reason, then we can do that and keep letting the brain know like, hey, <laughs> my baby was born and, you know, you need to get the milk out of the body because actually the easiest way to say it is, is more milk out means more milk made. Mm. And the more, you know, we get out of the breast an empty breast makes more milk and a full breast makes less milk. And people also were still coming out of a culture that, you know, in the 1940s, 50s, early 60s in that whole period of time, but especially like when, when my mom was born, you know, my, my grandmother was definitely told not to, A, not to pick up her crying baby because that they would be right. manipulative, but that's a whole other story, right? <laughs> but what was also, you know, didn't see my mom for, for the first two days. They weren't placed together. Right. And then they, right, which just has all sorts of implications, but also is told, yeah, uphill battle. And, and then is, is told, you know, not to place the baby there too frequently or not to even breastfeed. I don't know if she actually received, there was a time period around then we, we were helping people to dry up their milk. And so I don't know if she received any of those medications to do that or not, but we're coming out of this time period where a whole generation and in, in many parts of the American culture didn't breastfeed. And I think like a lot of the people I'm teaching now who were born, you know, in the eighties or so, um, maybe half of them were breastfed. And so we're actually at the highest rate of initiation in quite a long time in the U S around 83%. Uh, so it's good. Yeah. So we're really coming in a, in a great direction, but this whole generational loss, you know, means that people really, don't know how it works and they don't realize. And even if they have like the grandmother who maybe has this old information or the mother even who might've said like, you're really feeding the baby too frequently. And so people get nervous that they're, they're feeding too often when actually it's the opposite. You just want to feed whenever the baby shows signs of hunger. And that is what's going to tell our bodies to go through, you know, the lactation process, or we call it lactogenesis um, and the different phases of, of milk making. Cause we start with this colostrum, which also, doesn't look like what you'd think of as right. breast milk, right? Uh, you know, and that's part of the problem is people think they don't have enough. And then when the baby presents as hungry every one hour, which is totally normal. I always like in, in my classes, where I spend a lot of time saying, it's totally normal. Your baby's going to want to suckle literally every 60 to 90 minutes. And that it doesn't mean that they're, they're too hungry. It just means they're, they're stimulating. They, they need more. They are hungry, but it's normal for them to be hungry every hour. Um, their tummy is the size of a little marble and that's all they can hold, you know, and the more they suck at you, they're telling you to make that milk so that in the next three to four days, your body is responding by creating more and more of a milk supply. And then eventually it starts to really look like what you might have expected. So people really need to have that strong knowledge of it so they don't feel, because what they'll do is people will just start to maybe throw in a bottle right. or supplement and right. And nobody tells them, well, if you're going to do that, that's, that's up to you. And that's your choice. Of course, like we support people doing whatever they want to do with their bodies. But if you didn't have any education around it and nobody told you, well, if you give that bottle, but you don't pump your press, you're going to make less milk tomorrow. And all of a sudden a week out and you're barely you know, making enough for the baby. So it creates this cycle. If we don't tell people that, that if you do need to use a bottle or supplement, right. And also nobody tells them that they could also supplement by pumping their breasts. Most people now, every now and then there are people, of course, who have what we call IGT, which is insufficient glandular tissue. So there are some people who may actually not 
ultimately produce a full milk supply, or there could be other things with the body. Maybe somebody had a breast reduction surgery or an augmentation or, or they do have a, a hormonal yeah. imbalance. Um, you know, so there are of course things where it's totally appropriate to supplement because we absolutely need to feed the baby. Yes. There's a lot of fear around that. Too much, too little. Yeah, what did I exactly. eat? <laughs> exactly. Right. I think that for a lot of the coaches and clinicians, practitioners here, we may or may not be working with people with our specialty in lactation. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I always like to encourage practitioners to do is to make sure they have the resources where somebody does specialize in that. And I love this about your work, Jada, and also about what you do at Boober, that there is education because education is the biggest difference we can make. So if we are pointing people towards you, towards your resources, the other thing that I would love for you to talk into is what we can all do as coaches and clinicians to work with people in this precious time of uh, delivery and lactation. What can we do to support around the stress that comes up around lactation and what's happening in the body? And, you know, even where does hydration fall in? What can we do? Yeah, that's a great question. And really, as practitioners, you you guys are on the front lines working with these uh, people, these patients, your clients who who are dealing and experiencing, you know, they're feeding their baby eight to 15 times a day. So <laughs> it's, it's a real, in the very beginning, it's a real full-time um, situation. And even for many, many months, it'll still for be, years. you know, eight to 10 <laughs> years. I mean, of course, right. Right. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of different things. I think, first of all, certainly knowing what resources to point them to if they are having problems. And, and I think even before that, it's recognizing like, is somebody having a problem? What is a problem or not? So if you really understand how lactation works and like what we were talking about, then when your client is saying, I don't know, it just doesn't seem right. My baby wants to eat every hour. You're able to say, you know, that's totally normal for a three day old, right? right? <laughs> or, you know, so kind of learning some of those aspects and, um, and even, you know, we run a class that is a certified lactation counselor class, a 45 hour for those people who really want to get down into it. <laughs> um, I also teach general like three hour classes right now. I teach like a lactation for doulas, but it's a really good thought to think about why not for all practitioners yes. who work with pregnant and postpartum people. Yeah. You should think about yeah. that. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> point people your way. Um, so I think that's one of the things is just starting to know what the, the very basics of lactation are. And then also recognizing that most of the people who are nursing, especially in the early days, probably didn't have a lot of support around mm -hmm. it. Our hospitals are, are very unset up. I have to say part of why I created Boober was because, you know, at my first company, Birthday Presence, which has been providing childbirth education and um, doula training for the last 18 years, um, in the last bunch of years, I just saw so many people, we'd given them a list of, of lactation consults and prepared them, but just a lot of people contacting us back going, I've called everybody, I can't, I can't find somebody right away, you know, or I was at the hospital and, and just nobody came in to help mm -hmm. me or my average, we found that the average lactation consultant visit, as wonderful as many of, of them are, unfortunately, like at least in New York City, there's often one lactation consultant for 50 people. Right. So it might be a little different in other parts of the country for sure. But, um, you know, they're just getting the average visit is five to seven minutes, which is just really not enough. So recognizing there's a reason why your 
your clients, you know, may be struggling because there's just not enough understanding of the basics of lactation, I would just say. And so you understanding some of that, knowing, you know, oh, you can send them to Boober or a local lactation consultant, you know, Boober is able to match people within within an hour now, virtually since the pandemic. I mean, we're, you know, we also have virtual care now, which we weren't doing before the pandemic. And so we can help people wherever they are very quickly. And I think letting people know that the other big thing is that pain is not normal. It's really common, Mm -hmm. but it is not to be expected. And I think that's one of the things that really makes it challenging for people that they think it's supposed to hurt. So they keep struggling through it. And not only does painful lactation usually result in people giving up sooner um, and not meeting, you know, whatever their lactation goals are with the American Academy of Pediatrics recommending that we exclusively breastfeed for six months. I mean, if it's really hurting you and you're doing that eight to 15 times a day, it's just not sustainable. So you know, when you have an ideal latch, like it can, there can be some discomfort early on or, but if that lasts through the feed rather than just the first 30 seconds to 60 seconds, I think gently or firmly sometimes telling a person, you know, you sound like you're really struggling. Do you want me to help you find somebody who can help or give you that resource? And because they just really expect it to be painful or, you know, we get a lot of questions of like, you know, so when I get the cracked bleeding nipples, Mm. what cream is best? Mm. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, nope, no cream. I mean, cream is good. Like, yes, once you're already injured, there are things of course to help you heal, but nothing's going to functionally help you until you solve the baby's latch and figure out why we keep getting injured. Right. So I I think it's reminding and or telling people for the first time, like, yeah, no, that's not, that's not normal. And, and people who have cracked bleeding nipples and pain, they tend not to make as much milk. And so they struggle also with milk supply because the, you know, the baby's not stimulating at the right levels. They're not opening their mouth wide enough. It's hurting them. The person doesn't want to breastfeed as many minutes as, as the baby wants to. And and we get very quickly also into that cycle. And then people do get depressed, of course, or anxious when they can't feed their baby, but depressed when their bodies aren't functioning in the way that they wanted them to or expected them to. And so when they get support, in most cases, we can really make a difference, huge. move that needle. Yeah, huge difference, yeah. right? Like, and and maybe, you know, not always 100%, but a lot of percent, for 100% for many people. And some people, they can get more comfortable. Um, they still may not, and some people aren't going to exclusively breastfeed, but if we can make it feel better for them or or if we have to be honest with them, if there's a real situation going on and we can really explain, ah, this is why this is happening. And like, here are the choices you have. They feel better too, not struggling through and knowing that they have they have some other option or, or maybe they need to pump and they needed some guidance right. around it. And- yeah. Yeah. So much there for us to, and I love your passion about this, Jada. Really. I mean, it's, it's really important. Like it's such a, in functional medicine and functional nutrition, we look at this stage as a trigger back, right? So it's an antecedent. We want these babies to breastfeed. It's such a huge factor in all sorts of health, the brain, the immune system, the gut. And so what you're doing is so critically important and illuminating how we can all help our clients and patients during this stage of growth and development and change is really critical. And I'm so glad you have the resources for us to point to. Thank you. Oh, thank you. No, it's amazing what you are doing as well. And just that, that you care about this because I know you you know it's all it's all linked in. I think like your work, our work, it's it's all so linked. Yeah, absolutely.
The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. Um...